Radio Mano Papachango. Chris and everyone listening. My name's Ryan. I'm a slackliner. I'm sitting on a one-inch piece of webbing hundreds of feet over the earth in North Carolina. I just had the best walk of my life. Stood naked on a spire being cheered on by friends. Looking off in this fall bliss. I just wanted to share this moment with you. Uh, you've all given me so much. Uh, it's just a joyous time. Thank you. Love you all. Be good. Hi, Chris. This is Ivana sending greetings from Ljubljana, Slovenia. I was born and raised in Belgrade, Serbia, and I lived in San Francisco for 10 years before moving back to Europe. Uh, thank you for your podcast. It helps me stay in touch with my Californian self. Hey, Chris. This is Nathaniel from episode 142, sitting at the beach in Seattle, looking at Olympic National Park. Just spent my summer hiking through New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and 150 miles in Oregon up to Canada on the PCT. Um, Listened to a lot of tangentially speaking along the way, so thanks for keeping me company out there, and thanks for doing what you're doing. Hey Chris, Um, this is Megan. I'm from New Zealand. I'm with Nathaniel in Seattle and I just got done walking the PCT all summer so it feels pretty crazy to be back in the civilization after five months in the bush but um, your podcast kept me company along the way so thanks a lot for that. Um, Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Do I have the wildest, weirdest, coolest listeners ever? I mean really? A naked slackliner. He's sitting on a one-inch web, hundreds of feet above the forest, and that's when he pulls out his phone <clears throat> to record that intro. Hey, where did he pull the phone out from? How's he carrying a phone if he's naked on a one-inch web strip suspended in mid? I don't know. I don't want to think about that. But thank you for doing that. Uh, even though I think it was recorded last fall because he's, he's looking out at the fall, beautiful fall. Uh, sorry, takes a while. I've got hundreds of these things. Um, and um, a woman in Slovenia. And, of course, Nathaniel. I think that's also a pretty old one because I think he's talking about last summer. God knows where he is this summer. But uh, nice to hear from Nathaniel Farmer. I met him in Oregon when he was uh, walking north from Mexico to Canada. And, um, yeah, we hung out there at Government Camp, Oregon for a while and recorded a podcast. Good to hear from you again. Good to hear from all of you. If you want to send in one of those things, uh, pull your phone out from whatever orifice it's being stored in. You can send it to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. Before I get into talking about whatever's on my mind at the moment, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Lilo, Lilo Lilo.com. They are manufacturers of probably what are the world's 
best sex toys, probably the best sex toys that have ever existed on planet Earth are being created right now and very probably by Lilo.com. Now, I know a lot of people say, ah, sex toys, I'm not into sex toys, I like it all natural. That's cool. Natural is great. There's nothing better than nature. But, you know, sometimes you're all alone. Sometimes you want a little novelty, uh, something a little different. I have a friend who was in that camp. She said, yeah, vibrators, they don't do anything for me. And and I happened to have one of these Lilo devices. And uh, I gave it to her and I said, well, check this out. See what you think. And because uh, Lilo sponsored... Um, a talk I gave at South by Southwest last year. So um, after I did that talk, they gave me a bag of stuff. I had a whole bunch of sex toys I was carrying around for some reason. Anyway, I gave her one of these things. I forget what model it was, but it's one of these models that has part that goes inside and then uh, sort of a clitoral stimulator. And so you can sort of have the vibration going on inside or outside or both or alternating. There are all these different modes and speeds and very adjustable devices. Anyway, I talked to her a few weeks later and she was like, oh, by the way, totally changed my mind about vibrators. She said within 15 seconds, I was like, oh, I get it. I see why people like these. So maybe you consider yourself a person who doesn't like vibrators, but maybe you just haven't tried the right vibrator. It's called the Soria, I think, is the the model. You'll see it on the website. Anyway, if you go to Lilo.com and you decide to buy some sex toys and you use the code Chris Ryan, you get 15% off all full-priced sex toys. So if something's on sale, I guess it doesn't apply to that. But if you want something that's not on sale, now it is 15% off. Chris Ryan is the code. I'm in L.A., uh, just flew here, left the van at the long-term parking in Denver, flew to L.A. to read the audiobook of Civilized to Death. So if my voice sounds a little scratchy, it's because I've been reading that damn book three six-hour days with half an hour quick break for lunch. <clears throat> that's a lot of reading. Uh, it was an interesting experience to read the whole book out loud. Uh, I like to, when I'm writing, I read paragraphs out loud just to make sure it sounds right. But it's amazing. You still find mistakes. You still find like sentences like, oh, why didn't I write it that way? Why I use that same word twice in one paragraph. And it's, it, writing's amazing. It, you, there's, it reminds me of this thing that... Um, William Butler Yeats said um, about poetry, he said, a poem is never finished, merely abandoned. I think all writing is like that. You can always refine it. It can always make it better. But in any case, I'm pretty happy with the book. Uh, Some reviews are coming in. A review came in from, I think it was Booklist, um, you know, the pre-publication reviews. And, um, yeah, it was pretty, it was mixed. You know, they said it was a little gloomy. But when you write a book about the worst mistake that any species has ever made, it's kind of hard not to be a bit gloomy in parts. Um, but they were also very kind about how that the book was well written and well organized and so on. So I'll take it. I'm not 
complaining about that review. In the month of October, I'm going to be on book tour. So if you're listening to this from Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, New York, I'm not sure there might be a Denver. Yeah, so I'm going to be in all those places um, doing readings and book signings and hanging out. So uh, the dates, I'll let you know once they're locked in. Looks like I'm going to be on Rogan's show. He's very generously reached out and and, um, asked to have me on to talk about the book and whatever else has been going on since the last time we got together. I don't know if Duncan's going to join us. I I said I'd be very happy to have him come on and do a shrimp parade, um, but it depends if Duncan's available or not uh, the same day. I think that's going to be late in the month, somewhere in the last week or two. So we're still working out that date as well. In any case, I'm going to be all over the country in October, so... If it's possible, I hope you'll come out and say hi. This episode was recorded early in the van trip in May, I think. This is with Lierre Keith, who is the author of a book called The Vegetarian Myth, um, which is very interesting. I, I lent this book to a vegan friend of mine and never got it back. I'm not sure where it went, if she burned it in some sort of a ritual, um, but uh, vegans are not happy with this book in general, <clears throat> and uh, it, it's one of these cases where a true believer left the fold, and um, that tends to piss people off. She was a vegan for 20 years. She had serious health issues, and um, basically what happened was she decided to grow her own food, And once she started growing her own food, she had to face the fact that it's impossible to eat food that doesn't require death. Life eats life. And just eating cucumbers and tomatoes doesn't change that. One, because I forget who said this, but there was some quote about how vegetarians or people who can't hear tomatoes scream. Um, You know, there are plants that want to be eaten, I guess. Fruits are designed to be eaten and spread the seeds. Um, But I don't think broccoli wants to be chopped up and eaten, right? There there are definitely plants we eat where we're not eating the seed. Um, But in any case, you can't grow plants without killing things. You kill whatever was growing in that plot of land before you started your garden, for example. And the soil gets conditioned with bone and blood meal that comes from dead animals, right? Um, It's very, I was going to say very difficult, but I think it's actually impossible to survive without the death of other things being involved in that survival. So that's a conundrum. And it's a conundrum that I think vegans uh, and vegetarians are often avoiding or denying. I I was a vegetarian for three years. Um, And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't um, a big moral issue. It wasn't about saving the planet or any of that, you know, these sort of broad, grand motivations. It was just, I think I was doing... Uh, I, you know, I was doing psychedelics pretty regularly in those days. And one of the things that psychedelics did for me anyway, was it made denial very difficult. 
And I was in denial over the fact that I was eating ground up pieces of animals' bodies, to be honest with you. And, you know, a hamburger was a burger and a steak was a steak. And uh, when I was in that period of my life, a hamburger looked like ground up animal flesh. It didn't look like a burger. Um, So the sort of cultural framing was falling away. And because of that, I stopped eating meat until one day I was in, I was traveling in Mexico and I was on a long bus ride and the bus pulled over in one of these dusty little spots that Mexican buses pull over into. And there were some shacks there when, you know, you could use the bathroom and you had 20 minutes to get some food. And um, there were chickens running around all over the place. And basically all they had were um, you know, chicken tacos. And, and um, up until that point in the trip, I'd been eating rice and beans, rice and beans, rice and beans. That's all I fucking ate, rice and beans, because there's not a lot of vegetarian fare in Mexico, especially not in 1984 or three or whenever that was. And, um, and I looked and I was like, look, these chickens have a decent life. They're running around free. And then the number comes up and okay, you're dead. And now you're tacos. And it wasn't industrial farming. It wasn't pump, you know, the meat wasn't pumped full of chemicals and so on. And I just had to sort of bite the bullet and say, am I going to travel or am I going to be a vegetarian? Because if I'm going to travel, I'm going to have to eat the things people eat. And the fact is, people eat animals. And so I'm not going to travel all over the world, you know, with fucking freeze-dried tofu in my backpack. I'm not going to be that kind of traveler. I'm going to swim in the water that exists. And so I'm going to have to eat what people eat. Um, And I did. I ate a chicken burrito that day and I never looked back and now you know a few months ago I shot a pig with a fucking bow and arrow I don't know it's a strange progression I'm not saying that there's no judgment here I think uh, vegetarianism is great as long as you're not overly moralistic about it and you don't think that you're not occasioning the death of anything because you are there's no avoiding that in my opinion. Anyway, that's the episode. Lear Keith, we talk about vegetarianism and her particular trajectory through these issues. I think it's an interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it. All right. I'm going to play you out with a song, funky, strange little song called River. The band is, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I think it's Abeyi. It's I-B-E-Y-E. Um, And the song is about washing away your shame and changing you and I guess sort of the ritual of um, baptism, the cleansing of the soul and the renovation, the change, drowning the ego and uh, being reborn from the water. The song is River and it's by Ibeyi. Check it out. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next time.
I'm sitting in a beautiful Victorian reproduction house uh, in an undisclosed location in California somewhere. Do you need to be careful about... I mean, don't give my address, though. Honestly, I mean, the internet just makes it impossible. There's not... To hide? There's no way. I mean, you you can Google anybody and find out where they've lived over the last 30 years. And it's just every single address is there. And it's like, I didn't do this. And there's no way to get them taken down. So I'm kind of over it. Like, whatever. That's why I have giant dogs and all kinds of security. So it's just... Venomous snakes patrolling the driveway. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Um, But you, when the vegetarian myth came out, Mm -hmm. you you had a lot of um, unwelcome attention, I would imagine. Yeah, it was way worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 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 So I, I read that book, I don't know, 10 years ago, and uh, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you. And admired your courage and your... I, I mean, the way I remember it, you were a vegan for 20 years? Yes, that was me. And you're having health issues, mm-hmm. and you kept becoming more and more sort of stringent mm-hmm. about your diet, and the health issues weren't going away. Right. And I'm telling your story. This is a terrible <laughs> way to interview someone. Let me sit here and tell your story while you listen to me. Well, I figured there was a question coming at the... Okay, <laughs> so I got question. this right, and here's my question. Well, the, the thing, what I wanted to say that I really admired in the book is was your willingness to step back and sort of reconsider your some of your deepest beliefs right. about food and health and right. so on. And 
Yes, and there are. It's a very common experience because you nobody becomes a vegan without really, really being a true believer. Mm. I mean, it, it just becomes your identity. Like yeah. it's not just what you eat; it becomes right. who you are. Right. So when it fails, and it will fail, um, you're just sort of left in the rubble. Like, well, what does any of this mean then? What right. is what is my relationship to the planet, to animals? What is my relationship to the cosmos? Like, who am I if this didn't work and it clearly doesn't? Well, then what? Because you know, you have this whole ideology, this whole framework that's built up around I will not hurt animals, um, and then you know. You, you're, the rubber hits the road. You're up against the wall, and like, there's ideology and there's reality. And in that battle, reality is always going to win. Did you feel that it was akin to losing your religion? Yes, very much so. Yeah. And you also lose your community. Let's right. be very clear that pretty right. much everyone will throw you out at that point. Right, and because it is a religion. It is. It, well, it has it's a very and it's very cult-like elements. I yeah. would not call it an out-and-out cult. That's way too far. But yeah. it has some very cult-like elements, especially when you're young. Um, and you, you don't realize there's a bigger, wider world out there. Right. Um, it, it, it's really hard on people. I mean, that's the email I get over and over is, you know, the, the person who realizes I've been doing this for two years, five years, however long. I know I'm falling apart. I know where this ends. I know that I'm going to have to stop um, and I'm going to lose all my friends. And they're 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 so upset because, you know, all their human connections are going to be severed, if yeah. not seriously strained. And they don't know what to do about that. And the only thing I can say is, you know, you can make new friends. The thing you can't make is a new body. So mm. if you're getting the damage already, like you already have your answer, but it is a hard year or two until you find new people. And hopefully you learn a larger lesson than just, okay, this diet doesn't work. Because there's stuff in here about fundamentalism and our mm -hmm. capacity as humans to become fundamentalists, even if we think we are free thinking, you know, right thinking people, uh, we can embrace all kinds of stuff. And I, I remember this one quote I read, and it was some Buddhist monk, or I don't even remember who, somebody pretty famous probably in that world, but he said, any belief that's held tightly enough, even if it's a right belief, will become a wrong belief. Mm. And I just thought that is what I needed to hear when I was 20. And mm. I don't live in that world. Nobody told me. You know, nuance yeah. is so hard. Yeah, it is hard. And, and becoming yeah. a fundamentalist, just whatever, even if there's truth in it, you you crack it by holding it too tight. Yeah. You know, you become an impossible person. You make everybody hate you. You destroy your relationships, and you can't keep your mind open to new ideas. And so everybody shuts down. And then you know, there's no gentle way back in to all that information that was out there that I really was trying to engage with you know, about the bigger picture, about agriculture and the destruction of the planet. All of this was stuff I never stopped questioning. Like, what is going on on this planet? Why are things so bad? Yeah. But the real problems I couldn't get into because it was all about agriculture. Being a vegan, agriculture was the answer. Like, it can't be the problem. How right. do these two things come together? So I was living a double track. And it wasn't until the vegan thing really collapsed and I was... Then I was the one good part was I was finally able to take up all that information. Say, okay, I'm really going to look at this now. What does this mean? Like, what is the history of this? Why has this destroyed the planet? Um, and then, you know, I end up with a much more complete picture of what the problems are and where we go from here. I couldn't do that when I was a vegan. It wasn't possible. Mm. So, I mean, that was the one good thing that came out of it. Now, do you think you you said earlier like when it collapses and it will collapse? Yeah. <laughs> do you do you think is there no healthy way to live as a vegan? No. Really? There is just way too much that's missing in that diet huh. for not for human beings. Really? There's, we can't. It's, and so yeah. the people who I'm sure you hear this argument all the time as, as do I 
people who argue, no, no, our ancestors were herbivores. <laughs> have you heard this argument? Yeah, but it's so silly. Look at our digestion. I know, and our teeth. I mean, and just it's, everything. Yeah, it's crazy. And yeah. then look at every archaeological site. Yeah. You know, from 10,000 years ago and then old. Like, you know, a million and a half years ago. Like, everything that our genus was doing and then finally yeah. Homo sapiens. Like, there's no question. Look at yeah. our tools. They're coated in animal fat. Yeah. Look at the bones. I mean, look at the, you know, like... I mean, it's just the the art that we made. Yeah. Just everything. There's there's nothing about plants. They yeah. have um, actually. There's what are they called? Um, it's fossilized human waste, essentially. Oh, Sacralites, maybe. I can't remember what they're right, called. Right, right. Um, you know, and you can analyze that, yeah. and it's just literally not a single cell that was plants. Yeah. Like clearly, we were carnivorous. Yeah. And there's just there's just there's not there's not a well, single omnivorous. point. Omnivorous. Maybe. I mean, we can yeah. eat other things. Yeah. You know, but the thing that made us human was was eating meat. Hmm. I mean, there's no question. That's why we have the brains that we have. And this is really fascinating kind of moment in in the archaeological history where humans, you know, we 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 get really good tools. Like we start we start doing this thing, right? Yeah. That seems like there aren't that many animals that make tools. We are definitely one of them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we start doing it a little bit better. And what that means is our nutrition gets better because we can hunt bigger animals. So more nutrient density, way more animal fat. And some people say that the real turning point was that we figured out how to crack the skull case and eat brains, mm. which of course is like so nutrient dense, right? I mean, it's basically pure fat. And you are what you eat, huh? Uh, well, yeah. And so in a very, very quick amount, a very, very short amount of time, the brains get bigger, then our tools get bigger, then our brains get bigger again, the tools get even better. And it's just like incredible evolutionary feedback loop. And all of a sudden you have modern humans. Like it was just all in a heartbeat, essentially, you mm. know, on a time scale. And it was that little lube. What we traded for that was um, what they call it the, the expensive tissue hypothesis. So because your brain uses like 80% of your energy at any given moment, it's real heavy. I mean, it needs a lot. Um, but our and our digestive tracts shrank in that same period. So our brains get bigger digestive tract shrinks that is only possible if you're eating super dense food and mm. that's animal fat I mean, and that's babies the most, are the, born premature yes they have to be we'd right. never get out otherwise have, yeah. so that's why it takes two years for us to be able to talk and like do basic human stuff right yeah yeah you ever read about the aquatic if uh aquatic oh yeah yeah, yeah i've read so it's interesting yeah, yeah. no I, I don't really have an opinion but i think it's fun to think about yeah yeah, yeah there, there, it explains a lot of things that otherwise uh, there is no coherent explanation yeah. for yeah the body fat and yeah, the you know yeah. direction of the hairs and all that stuff yeah quite interesting stuff i i'm i'm the same i don't really have an opinion one way or the other it's just fun to think about though yeah. like, oh that could be and the true. woman who wrote <laughs> is really nice too i sent her a, an email and she sent me this really nice letter back i forget her name elaine morgan elaine, yes yeah, yeah elaine morgan she's cool um uh, so you're you're when you were a vegan, which we're talking how long ago now? When all this happened? When did I, I stopped in 1999? Oh, okay, yeah. 1990. So 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, it's been that long. Were you was, was the veganism part of your politics? Oh, absolutely. I know you're very oh no, absolutely. Yeah. So your feminism, your everything. politics, it was Just all intertwined. Head first, it was everything. Yeah. And Just so then dove you right in. and you took one part of it. Yeah. And sort of excise that, but continue kept the other parts relative the way they were, or did that all shift as well? What I would say is that you know that basic value system that inspired me really my whole life. So justice and compassion and sustainability, um, and not just for humans, but for animals and for the planet. Like all of that, that love, that sort of biophilic love, 
for everything that's alive, right? I mean, that to me was always the point. Like everything that I've done has been about that. Hmm. Um, that never changed. Right. And this is something that I think a fair number of also recovering vegans have drawn some sustenance from because you don't have to change that core that core set of values that really that inspire that keep you moving that that speak to your soul like that's never going to change but what does change is our framework about it what does change is our ideas about it um the best way forward based on those values that's going to change depend on depending on what information you have so all i'm saying is like if you change your information you're still going to be the same person like you'll wake up tomorrow even if you decide you can't be a vegan anymore you'll wake up tomorrow you will be the same person like it's, you're not just going to be an absolute stranger to yourself. You right. will be that same person. What matters to you is still going to matter. But you might decide to take a, a different path now. You know, like, and, and your ideas about what's wrong, what's gone wrong on this planet are going to shift as well. You'll have a bigger view, in fact. And because I don't think that actually eating a vegan diet is the best representation of those values is the is the problem. It's just I didn't know better when I was sixteen. Yeah, you know, I I bumped into another young vegan and I was utterly convinced. And that is honestly how most vegetarians and vegans become vegetarians and vegans is they meet somebody, and they are convinced. Like, I would say yes, and combined with uh, what did you call it a, a biophilic love? Yeah, you know, I think there's a pre-existing love for animals, Absolutely. love you know, and a yeah. sense of tenderness toward sure. nature. And then you hear that ideology, and then it all fits together. It seems together. to make sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And most of us live in more or less urban environments. We've got no idea where our food comes from. Right. We certainly aren't given the history of the last 10,000 years. So I had no idea what was dying to feed me when I was right. a vegan. Exactly. I, all I knew was, is there something dead on my plate? And if there wasn't something that had a mother or a face, I figured it was peaceful food with it that nothing died. And nothing could have been further from the truth. But I didn't know that. And I didn't have anybody to tell me either. So, you know, while I'm doing this vegan thing and I'm so righteous about it and I'm so committed to it, you know, on the other hand, I'm still investigating all of this. Like, so why is the world such a mess? Why is the planet dying? Where have all the animals gone? Like, what is all this about? And, you know, so all of that kept pointing to agriculture as sort of the root of the problem. Yeah. But again, like being a vegan, I couldn't, I couldn't fully take it up. So I'm reading all these books. I'm trying all these experiments in my own backyard, like trying to figure out, so, so where did... What do humans eat? Like, where did we come from? Why why do we eat this way and not that way? And what what is the best thing for the planet? And like, I, you, you can't fully engage if you've already made up your mind. And right. my mind was very fully made up. Mm. Um, and I will say, I did have one, when I was 20 years old, I had a college professor and the, the, the class was called The Politics of World Hunger. And I was like, oh, I'm taking this. And it was taught by one guy who was a biologist and one guy who was um, a sociologist. And so it was back and forth between them a lot. They had a lot of debates, you know, in front of the students, which was really great. I mean, it was really fun just to watch the dialogue. Mm. And they both brought sort of their own passions to this. But I remember so clearly the the one the the guy who was the biologist saying, "The moment you put a plow to soil, you degrade that soil, and that's the problem." And I I was like the horror that ran through my body because I could immediately it all just fell like dominoes. Like, so we have to do this thing to feed everybody. We have to do this thing that's destroying the planet. And then when we're done destroying that land, we have to move on to the next piece of land. We'll destroy that one. And then we'll move on to the next piece of land. And then there won't be any more land. And that's pretty much where we are now. All the continents have been taken. There are no giant forests. There are no huge grasslands. There aren't even any wetlands anymore. Like, what's left to take? We are driving ourselves off this cliff. Like, all of that became apparent, you know, in, in the second after he said it. Like, we backed ourselves up against 
this wall and there is no way forward. And I thought this was a solution. But in fact, if he's right, this is just this is exactly the problem. It's not a solution. And it was terrifying. I mean, it was terrifying to think, my God, what's going to happen to the six or seven billion people that are here? But also just for me, it was like, it shook me to the core. And what I did instead was I ran the other way. It was like, I, I can't know any more about this. This mm. is just, I'm too, and that's the fundamentalism. Like, right. I can't let this in. So I danced around it for 20 years. Like I would dip in a little, read some more books, try some more things in the garden, you know, look around, like try to investigate. And every time I came up against that wall, I just, I had to back up, so. Was there a moment, can you remember a moment when it all fell apart yeah and it was the moment that i ate no the moment not even the moment that i ate the the fish it was the moment when the guy told me that i had to because he was somebody that i really respected he was an older man who was a he's from china he lives in the united states now but he's so he's been doing traditional chinese medicine his entire life so this was the only person i was going to hear it from was somebody like him Mm. you know like somebody that i really respected who was doing you know, like really ancient wisdom tradition kind of thing. Like there was the, uh, no Western medicine person was going to be able to tell me to change. Like I wasn't going to listen. But I had such respect for him and for that whole kind of system of thought. And when he said, you know, you're going to die if you keep doing this, I, I knew he was right. Mm. It was, and it was, it was, I had seen enough of my friends to already go through this, like over the decades, like I can't do it anymore. And then we'd get in a big fight because I was a jerk. No, you're just not doing it hard enough. You're not strong enough. You just, you can't kill animals. It's so terrible. And one by one, they all, you know, like realized it was true. Like they couldn't keep going. My, my sister, I mean, she was a vegan for, I think, 14 years and she had to give it up. She's like, you will feel better if you would just eat some meat. And I was like, no, I'm not going to sell out. I don't care if I die. Well, when it comes to it, I didn't actually want to die. Mm. You know, so when he said it, finally, I was like, all right, all right, he's, it's true. And like, you had consulted I, him for a health issue. Yes. And yeah. he was like, well, you know, they take your pulses, right? That's uh, the, right. the yeah. Chinese man. Yeah. And he just stared at me in horror. He's like, there is nothing here. Like, you have nothing left. Just no vitality. There's just nothing. Like, nothing. Yeah. Like, you can find no pulses. And he was like, I was like, I was like trying to laugh. Like, well, am I a corpse? And he's like, it's like not even funny. Yeah, you mm. basically are. Um, you know, and he's like, so what do you eat? And he was utterly bewildered. And I was like, well, I'm a vegan. And he's like, no, you can't. And I just started crying. I mm. mean, it was like, the it was the end, you know? Yeah. Like, I knew, too. I mean, I had a, such a bad feeling. I was like, I know where this ends. Like I said, having seen all my friends go through it one by one, I was like, I had a very bad feeling about that day. But mm. and finally, it was like, well, I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna have to try it. So then I did. I ate the bite of tuna fish, and it was all over. So that was really the moment. That day was it. My last day of being a vegan. And then there was no, there was no going back. I mean, I felt so dramatically better. And I mean, within ten seconds of eating that bite of fish. Um, really? You yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it was literally in my mouth. I could feel it. And it was canned tuna fish. It was canned tuna. I was like, I don't want it. No, I was like, I Cat don't food. want it touching my dishes. I don't even want it in the house. I don't uh, want it touching my pots. Uh, I mean, it was like, I totally understand those kosher people and yeah. people who have like religious, you know, prescriptions like, oh, it's unclean. It's horrible. Like, you know, God is against you if you do, you know, it was just yeah. awful. Like, I didn't want to, I, so this was like, I'll buy a can of tuna fish because I don't have to cook it and I can eat it with a plastic fork. It will not touch my dishes. It will not touch my stove. <laughs> like, that was it. Plastic fork, can of tuna. you didn't try like a, <sighs> like an anal tuna suppository I know, or right? Like, I'm not even going to put it in my mouth, right? Uh, I have a buddy who is a, a vegan for probably 12 years, I think. He's a jazz um, bass player, mm-hmm. and 
we're living in Spain. Spain is not an easy place to be a vegetarian right. or much less a vegan. I mean, in Spain, it's like chicken sandwiches are on the vegetarian menu. Right. They consider that. Yeah. yeah anything yeah, yeah. that that wasn't a cow yeah, is not vegetarian. Me, yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, he was touring in the south with his band, and uh, they were in this little some little village in the in the mountains and at a tapas bar. And uh, the other guys in the band were eating something, and they were like, oh, what the, what is this? Ask the bartender. And he did the translating. Well, ask the bartender, what is this? And it was a little piece of meat on a little bread, and the guy, the bartender, said, oh, that's ham from a wild pig that I shot with my bow on that mountain right there <laughs> yeah. last winter, yeah. and it cured like right back here. And, and he explained this to the guys in the band, and they were like, are you fucking kidding me? That's amazing. You have to try this. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a vegetarian. No, you got to try, try it, man. It. This is amazing. The guy shot it. Finally, he did. Yeah. Over. Yeah. 12 years. No, over. Just done. Yeah. And he became obsessed with yeah. meat. Of First course. thing was octopus. <laughs> He would call me up in the middle of the night. He's like, oh, dude, these octopus guys are going to take me hunting. And there's this place that we got to go to in Barcelona. It's all octopus. And then he's like, I'm going to get an octopus tattoo. And I'm like, dude, don't do it. You're losing your mind. Anyway, he did. He got the octopus tattoo. And it's a great tattoo. It's on his right shoulder. So when he plays the upright bass, it sort of moves. The tentacles move. And he still likes his tattoo. He's still happy with it. As far as I know, I haven't been in touch with him. But like the next five years, he got probably fifteen tattoos, all meat related. Yeah, no, it's it saves your life. Yeah, yeah. And you're it so grateful. Something. It's like you're so there's just this incredible joy that comes back, and you're so grateful. I, so, I totally get it. Do you think yeah. is part of the impulse? Like we we already sort of made the connection between religious ideology and the identity you're one of us or you're against you're out you know that that whole kind of aspect of it do you think another aspect of it is that there's a there's a a desire to separate ourselves from the the natural cycle of life and death like angelically you know what i mean we're different from other animals i i definitely think that that is often a part of it I think, and it's odd because the ideology is the opposite. It's like, we love planet Earth. We love the animals. We don't want to hurt anybody. But we're not participating. I know, I know. know. So it's a very odd kind of fine line that that I certainly walked. Yeah. You know, and there is definitely a way that just from the nutritional deficiencies um you know you can get into all kinds of weird mental states from that oh good and point. Right. there's definitely people i've known friends i mean not this is not even anecdotal who uh you know took that to be spiritual experiences it's like yeah that's just b vitamins like that's really not angels like that's just what happens to your brain hmm. when you don't have enough of these very vital nutrients um and then you know, they would feel better after switching their diet around. And we're, you know, often just incredibly grateful to like, so glad I listened to you or to whoever. And, oh, yeah, I've got some, you know, some muscle tone back and I can get out of bed. But they mourn that sort of otherworldly, you know, basically nutritional deprivation state, Hmm. because they felt sort of, you know, like floating above it all. And, and to them, that was, a spiritual experience like I mean it's an altered state I mean it is an altered state but it's not a good one do you think it is it related to to gender or more women vegans than men? way more vegan? women are vegans and especially uh, way more teenage girls 
And this, I mean, certainly has to do with, uh, I think, the different socialization that, you know, women are generally socialized to, to care and compassion and connection. So the moment that you show somebody a baby animal, you know, it's like, oh, mm. I don't want to hurt. You know, and they're like, oh, you're, you're hurting the mother cows with the, you know, I mean, and I think that's a good impulse. Like, we should care about other creatures. Sure. This is not a bad thing. Right. But boys aren't socialized to care about those sorts of things in anywhere near the same way. That right. That's all that's supposed to matter to girls, you know, when we're growing up. So I think girls are an easier mark, essentially, mm. for, for veganism. And the vegans know that. I mean, it's girls are absolutely targeted in magazines that are meant or Facebook groups or whatever that are meant for teenage girls like they know how to get the next generation of recruits to get them young get them early and absolutely they go for the girls is there a money-making aspect to this no I don't well I mean every industry has its things that make money I mean we can talk about the soy industry and how you know just craven that's been Um, but most soy goes to animal feed doesn't it some of it does yeah but the problem was always so we're gonna squeeze out the oils and we're gonna sell the oils you know to make cheap processed food now what are we gonna do with the the gunk that's left over Mm. you know is the industry and this is this is well yeah look literally there are memos that were leaked where the pr company is saying so what you can do is if you position this as a healthy sort of uber righteous food uh they will take it up and so they the so the the then the, the kind of campaign um, was, I don't, I don't know if New Age Magazine is still around, but it, it used to be in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that was, was a big one. Always so, in Whole Foods. Whole, and, yes, yeah. exactly. So they went for those kinds of magazines and uh-huh. they put all these ads in about soy milk. And that was sort of the first oh, that was the reaching milk. the dam. And it was all about soy milk. Yeah, this was this great stuff. And it's, right. you know, all clean and it's pure and it's eco-friendly. And like, here's your little green thingy. And, and they did. And they were able to get all kinds of people within a year or two to start drinking the soy milk. And that was the beginning of the end. So And so, of course, soy has made, you know, huge inroads into just the basic American diet and that was how they did it so I mean you can always point to well who's going to make money if we do X, Y, or Z there's always Mm. somebody that's going to figure out how to make a profit but I don't think that most people who are after the you know the conversion you know of more people to veganism they're not motivated by money they really do think they're doing the right thing and this is why I want to reach the same people is because mm. I don't think their values are best expressed by being vegans. I think if they understood what it is they're actually eating, they would probably choose something that was better. I really want the people who care the most about the destruction of the planet to understand the nature of the problem. Right. And to date, they don't. Right. And I so want if you're, them to. If you're, if you're talking to a room full of vegans, what is it? A room, let's say a room full of 17-year-old girls sure. who are vegans. What is it that you're saying to them? First, I know your nutritional argument. You've been pretty clear about that. Yeah. Like, this is not going to work for you It's not going to work long term. So but, but what do you say to them about, I don't want to hurt animals? How do you address that? I think that that is a good attitude to have. Like, that is a good base value to have in your heart throughout your whole life, is that you're going to care about care for the voiceless and try to speak for them and this is all to the good like those are the, you're on the right track value wise right. so now the question is well how do you what's the best way to put those values to work in your life and you know as the, the structures of society politically what what is what what are we aiming for you know as a culture um, and so this is where it gets harder because on the vegan end they have slogans so we can say you know meat is murder right I mean it's 
it's got emotional appeal. It's really simple. You can make a bumper sticker out of it. We don't have slogans on our side. It's not really possible because what we have is real information. And the information has to accumulate into this thing called knowledge where you see the pattern. And that can't be done in 30 seconds. Mm. So what I like to do is to start at the beginning. What is agriculture? Why is this a problem? It's the most destructive thing that people have done to the planet. You literally take a piece of land, you clear every living thing off it, all of them, and I mean down to the bacteria. So all those plants and animals, they've got nowhere to go. It's just extirpation on a vast scale, right? Right. And it's mass extinction is what it is. Um, You clear them all off and then you just use that land to grow humans. And that's what we've been doing for 10,000 years. So 200 species are now going extinct each and every day, 200 species. This is way bigger than just one animal that you might need to kill to eat. It's entire species. And so we need to look at this much bigger picture. Um, There is no way for you to live without animals dying. It's just a question of whether you're going to acknowledge it and whether you're going to do it well. Mm. And you can't do it well if you're not going to acknowledge it. It's way bigger than what's dead on your plate. It's what died to get that food on your plate. And if the answer is agriculture, then that is the problem. Okay, so that's what I try to get across. But like I said, I can't do it in 30 seconds. It's a much longer conversation. And I honestly got so tired of having the conversation that I wrote a book. Mm. I was like, I just need this all in one place. Because, oh, it just, I mean, I enjoy talking to people who are really engaged. And I've absolutely gotten people to, to kind of work around this, you know, in an hour and a half, two hours. Anybody who's a thinking person can start to grasp what I'm saying. Right. It's, it's not actually that difficult. They just never heard it. Right. You know, but it does get a little bit like one on one on one. I'm not making any progress. Right. So right. Sure. ultimately, it's like you need to write a book, make a movie, right. like do something that's going to have a bigger, a a bigger impact. No, absolutely. And there's so many good people now who yeah. are. Uh, from whatever angle they're coming at, we have so much better information than when I was 16 years old about why this is not a way forward and really what we need to be doing, you know, yeah. just to stop factory farming and to help the world come back to life. I wanted to know. make that point clear. You're not in favor of factory farming. Oh, God, no. And we no. Oh, that should be just be across the board, right? right? Like right. everybody Nobody. should agree that this yeah. is just wrong. Right. No matter who you are, this is so just wrong. So where does your meat come from? What, what do you eat? And well, I'm you... very lucky because I live in a rural area. Yeah. So I'm able to go to the places where my food comes from, you know, right. and have one-on-one relationships with people. Um, I've, in the past, also raised a lot of my own. I don't, at this very moment, have food animals on the land. But mm. I've had chickens, I've had ducks, I've had geese, I've had, like, every bird you can imagine. I've had guinea fowl, I've had pigeons, um, and I've also had goats. Um, and that's a lot of fun. And a lot of work, but it's it's really good to do that. Um, but the, I have, yeah, they are. They're so <laughs> funny. They're so smart, and they have their own personalities, and yeah. you could really just fall in love with them. Um, but where I live in Northern California, there's lots and lots of grass-based farms, so mm. I can get really good eggs just right down the street. Um, there's lots of grass-fed beef around. There's really great pasture-raised pork. Right. It's super simple. The chicken is hard to get, and it's expensive, so I don't eat. I hardly ever eat chicken. Mm. But also, I'm right on the Pacific Ocean, so I can get salmon really easily. Right. So I mean, everything is here. Non-farm. It's, it's, it's not hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what do you recommend to someone who lives in a city and doesn't have this this sort of access? It's really hard. Uh, I think the best thing is to get a freezer, and then you can drive. You know, right. once every few months, go with people that you get know. Get together with friends. Exactly. Buy Just a go cow do it. Together. Buy a whole cow. Get the whole thing, and yeah. then you're good for a year. Yeah. Um, but you know, move up a little bit too in your advocacy, and like ask your local stores to carry some better grades, hmm. you know, explain to them why it's important and, you know, do a presentation for them and get the literature into the store. Like, it's really important that everybody understands 
that, that this is the only way forward. Like we have to start sequestering carbon. The only thing that does that honestly is ruminants on grasslands. So mm. it's, there's, there would still be plenty to right, eat if we right. did that. This El- is elaborate thing. a little on that. Okay. Because so, people get this, a lot of yeah. people say, well, cows, the methane, the farts it's are causing. Ridiculous. Right. But uh, yeah, go further with First that. First of all, anybody who tells you that cow farts are the problem is, I mean, it's not even worth anybody, that's not even anybody that's worth listening to because the methane, when cows produce methane, it's out of their mouths. It's got nothing to do with the back end. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's ridiculous. I mean, just, uh, they do not understand. <laughs> what a cow is like they don't even understand the basics uh-huh. so the un put on that report the livestock's long reach the long reach of whatever it was called um and it was all about oh goodness 18 percent of the methane carbon is from it's not true and they very readily admitted that they had gotten the entire thing wrong the american society of chemists looked at the report and said it's just they've got this there when they look at all the other sectors of the economy um they're only using the point of use of fossil fuel and when they did it for meat they looked all the way back to every last place that fossil fuel entered the mm, picture so, so they didn't was, look at all the methane no, from they fracking didn't. oh exactly so there was like yeah. a million other ways that they so yeah. when you add all that in it's like maybe 1.5 percent of carbon right. is actually from cows and and that's me- including industrial cows yeah, which that we're is already absolutely which is everything yeah right. so that's mostly where it's coming from anyway is right. cows raised in a really bad way um so it's just a, it's and what we call it is a vampire myth because it will not die Right. And no matter how many times this is pointed out, it doesn't matter. And every time you read it, it's more. Oh, cows are responsible for 24%. No, they're responsible for 36%. No, half of meth is all comes from the cows. Like, you can't even settle on a number. But this entire thing is just, it was wrong from day one. They immediately corrected it. It doesn't matter because ideologically people want to believe it. So they keep saying it. Um, okay, so that's, you know, we'll set that aside. Um there's let's take one example so if you have an acre of land you can do let's take do one of two things with this this you know rhetorical acre of land so um that that sound is a dog scratching dog, at the window very jimmy, jimmy really cute, wants to come in dog. Right, here i'll pause on, this you can. all right and we're back okay so one acre of land there's let's go two different ways with our acre of land on the first acre you can destroy it you can remove all the plants that would grow there. You can remove, and all the animals, so the insects, vertebrates, not ver- everybody, they have nowhere to live because you've taken away all the, all the plants. There's nothing there but bare soil. So plants, animals, bacteria, everybody's gone. Um, and on that acre of land, you're gonna grow corn. So now you've grown your corn. Um, in the meantime, every time it rains, uh, your, all this topsoil is washing off into the nearest river. So you're destroying the river as well. You're spraying petroleum. Probably. Um, as time goes by, you're going to have to because you are killing the soil. Right. Uh, every time that soil is exposed, it dies. So year after year, as you continue to grow corn, you're going to have less and less soil. Uh, it's literally just vaporizing. Agriculture is actually the beginning of global warming. Um, because of exactly that <laughs> the the soil just it it's just gone and the carbon is released and it goes into the atmosphere and so if you look at we all know that sort of hockey stick graph on carbon mm. and that's true that burning fossil fuel has been a dramatic accelerant but if you back that up 10,000 years the same amount of carbon was released from the beginning of agriculture till the year 1800 uh, as has been released since the beginning of the fossil fuel age. So it's an accelerant, but it's not the beginning of the problem. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So especially rice yeah. agriculture is really bad. So anyway, um, all right, you're destroying everything. You're destroying the atmosphere. You're destroying the soil. You're destroying the rivers. The rain that does fall can't 
penetrate the soil surface um, without the the, the deep roots of perennial plants are actually what create channels for water to enter. So the water table now is being destroyed as well. Um, the other thing about perennials is they are really the only beings on the planet that can break up rock mm. and bring up minerals to the surface of the soil so that the rest of us can Need, we need them, and that's so how we get them. So the soil. Yeah. So, uh, but they can they do that, and it's actually uh, plants working in conjunction with bacteria. It's a symbiotic relationship. The the bacteria are actually the acid producers that do that. But uh, you know they trade with the plants for sugars and blah blah. But it's a nice exchange, and so they get the minerals, and then the minerals, you know, they bring it up through their roots, and then into their leaves, and then a ruminant eats it, and then we eat the ruminant. But that's where the minerals come from. So. None of that can happen because there's no perennial plants left. All you're growing are annual crops. So everything's destroyed. Um, at the end of that growing season, you've got one acre of corn. Now, you could feed that corn to people if you wanted. And in some some ways, that does happen. People eat corn. Another thing you can do with it is send it down the road in a great big truck to a really miserable steel barn where some very unhappy sick cows are living and you feed them that corn so that acre of land will produce enough essentially for one cow in that miserable barn with cement floor never seeing the light of day what just horrible very sick and then you can slaughter the cow feed humans and it's really bad meat for humans the amino acid profile is wrong the fatty acid profile is wrong all because the cow was not given the correct food corn is not the native diet of cows it does make them very fat very quickly which is to say you can make more money on them. So that's why this whole thing started, factory farming. So that's what you can do on that one acre of land. And it's really just death and destruction from beginning to end. Every year you'll have less soil, less water, there's less life. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, you're just left with the desert. So that's what's happened. You can go around the world, all the places where agriculture first started, and it's just desert. Yeah, Iraq used it's to be exactly green. It. Yeah. yeah, it this was fertile crescent used to be fertile. Yeah. We're going to put that in quotes because yeah. nobody would look at that desert landscape and say yeah. fertile now. Yeah. And that's the inevitable endpoint. Ninety-four percent of Iraq is um, being desertified. Two thirds of Pakistan. I mean, we can just go on and on. This is the inevitable endpoint of this process because. <laughs> soil you know it's a living creature and it needs its biome and when you remove the plants it's over it dies okay so that was the first acre which was just misery now let's look at another acre um we're gonna leave that acre alone we're not actually gonna rip it up we're just gonna leave all the plants there so you have this incredibly lush grassland and in, in most prairies, one square meter should have 24, 25 separate species of plants per square meter. That's an incredible density of different species. Um, even further down, talk about one tablespoon of soil can have over a billion different forms of life, different kinds of life in it. So mm. it's a billion, like a tablespoon of soil. Mm. Like there is no denser habitat than soil. And it's there because of the plants and the animals. Like everybody works together to make soil be a thing. So we're going to leave the grasses there because they're doing their job. They're bringing up minerals. They're protecting the soil. They're building soil. They're letting rain enter to recharge the water table. Um, during the dry season in the summer, this is where ruminants really play their part. The bacterial um, activity kind of draws to a halt because it's so dry. If you think about a grassland, like the Great Plains or whatever, you picture it sort of brown. Yes, that's what it looks like in the summer. Like once that first flush, flush of rain is gone, it gets drier and drier. And the reason that it doesn't turn to desert is because of the activity of ruminants. The ruminants figured out how to carry 
that bacteria around inside their bodies. Mm, so, so they replenish it. Yes, they oh, do. Yeah, nice. and they keep the nutrient cycle moving. Right. They are the only creatures that can do that. Like we can't. You and I cannot eat grass. We don't have a mechanism to digest cellulose. Right. We call it fiber, and it just passes that's through us, true, right? Yeah. But that's not true for cows. So what's happening inside a cow or a, a bison is really actually super interesting to me. They are not technically eating the grass. They are feeding that grass to bacteria. Mm. And the bacteria are actually digesting the grass. Right. And then the cows are eating the bacteria. So they're taking this. So they're farming. Yes, they are. Or like they, a cutter, yes. leaf cutter ants. That's exactly it. And so they're, they're taking a very, low, a very low nutrient substance, grass, which is basically just cellulose. And they are converting it into a high fat, high protein substance, which is the, ba- the bodies of bacteria. So the cows feed the bacteria, the bacteria then die and feed the cow. Um, and I then didn't know that. That's uh, nobody does. And then that this is what keeps the nutrient cycle moving across the surface of the of, of that grassland because without it it would eventually just turn into right. desert, right? Um, and then of course the fertilizer, the bacteria, everything comes out the other end. And just a note on the methane it's the bacteria that are creating the methane. It's yeah. not the cows. It's the yeah. bacteria that are degrading it. Methane is always a byproduct, and it doesn't matter whether you do it inside a cow or outside a cow. That is what happens when bacteria degrade cellulose. They release methane. Now, for however many million years, 500 million, 450 million, <laughs> this is what's been happening on the surface of the, the planet, and it didn't wreck the atmosphere. Everybody worked in concert you know, yes, methane was released, but the atmosphere could handle it, and there were ways that it was reabsorbed back into the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, or we wouldn't be here, right? If all these living creatures together hadn't figured out how to do this in some kind of concert, we would long ago have had the methane emergency, and we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have oxygen-breathing animals. Clearly, they had this worked out. We know what's creating the problems with the carbon. It's us. It's our activity, mostly burning fossil fuel. Like it's ridiculous to blame bacteria and ruminants. Like yeah. they're just doing the thing that they do, which is breaking down the the carbon. Like what? And it's I a just, cyclical thing. When you yes, take the ruminants absolutely. off, as you said, it's a linear. Have yeah. you read a short, a brief history of progress? No, Ronald I haven't read Wright. that one. It's really yeah. good. I, yeah. I, I, it, and it really makes this point that you started with where you have agriculture and you end with the desert. Right. Every time. Every time. Everywhere. It's not going to end happened, any other way. I know. It ends in desertification. It's inevitable. So our first acre of land, it ended in death and destruction, desert. And then our second acre of land, well, guess what? That acre of land in most places is enough to support that same one cow. Only this time she's really happy because she's out on grass her mm, whole life. One right. calf, cow pair can live there. Um, yes, her life will end, but that is true for every last one of us. It's true for the grass, it's true for the bacteria, it's true for the cow, it's true for the humans that eat the cow. But in the meantime, everybody got fed appropriately. The The meat that comes from that cow is going to have the correct fatty acid profile, the correct amino acid profile it's going to have everything that people need in it um and you can come back ten thousand years from now and there will only be more life that's the thing Mm. it's a cycle it's not you know some kind of you know domination hierarchy it's a it's a circle and every single being plays a role the bacteria are needed the grass are needed the cow is needed the apex predator is needed everybody plays a role we all get fed we all feed in turn like, we're going to die, and our bodies will be broken down, turned into grass, turned into soil, a ruminant will eat it. And that's just it. When you're 
a member of this tribe called Carbon. There, you know, there are these transformative moments where your life ends, but your nutrients go on. And who knows? We don't know what happens to our spirit or whatever you want to call it, but life will continue. That's the thing. So 10,000 years from now, you can go back to that beautiful acre and you will only have more of the same. The only difference is going to be more soil, which is to say more life. So that is utterly sustainable because that is what nature does. It makes those communities. When we do agriculture, we destroy them. So there, that's a... (laughs) (laughs) So there. That's it. (laughs) So what do you want to happen to your body when you die? Um... I probably should make up my mind. Um, <laughs> I don't actually care. I mean, if, if I really could, if I could have anything I wanted, I would have what's called a sky burial. Sure, Where you're just Tibetan. exposed. Yeah, and I would let the, the birds could come and eat, and that I think would be really great. But you can't do that because it spreads diseases, and we live at way too high a density. You ever read Robinson Jeffers? Do you know him, the poet, I, Carmel? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he has a poem, I think it's called Hawk. Um, and he's... He describes lying out on a rock overlooking Big Sur, and he's he's just napping, and he opens his eyes, and there's a vulture circling right. him, and it's coming uh-huh. closer, and he yes. doesn't move. <laughs> and at first, he's a little alarmed, and then he, he thinks, he sort of has this conversation with the vulture, and it's not called hawk, obviously, because it's a vulture, but anyway. He, Maybe he thought it was a hawk at first. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but I, I remember there's a line where he says, he's like, well, I kind of wish I were dead. Right. You know, because what a great life yeah. after death that would be. What an ensconcement. Yeah. Use that term ensconcement. I love it's it. Beautiful. Yeah. So that would probably be the best, but it's not going to happen in this world. It's just we're too crowded. So yeah. it's not really safe. That's why they don't let people do it. It so would be know. nice if something ate you, though. Yeah. So I if mean, there would be the a ground, nice. Then symmetry. absolutely you're going to get eaten. So yeah. that's probably the way to go. Isn't it crazy? I mean, another sort of indication of this this weird desire we have to extract ourselves from the life cycle, hermetically sealed aluminum caskets or stainless steel in the world. Like, like who do you think you're kidding? A stainless steel casket. The moment that you die, your bacteria start shifting. Right. To the and then we do this formaldehyde thing. Insane. What is the purpose? Like, you're going to get eaten eventually. You know what that is? You know what the origin of that is? I had a, a mortician on the uh-huh. podcast, um, Caitlin Doty. Great. She's super cool. She's like the, the hip mortician, okay. sort of. Um, kind of a goth <laughs> vibe. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> anyway, she's great. But she explained to me that the whole formaldehyde thing, that started uh, in the Civil War when the oh, soldiers would die and they'd on, have to ship them home and no trains. refrigeration. Okay. So they pumped them up with all these chemicals. Sure. And now we still do it it's as bizarre. a culture for no good reason at all. It's, it's just it's bizarre. disgusting. You are eventually going to degrade. Like, it, like why try to put it off for 50 years? Like, exactly. It just doesn't make any sense I mean, at all. Like, the sooner the better, I would say. Let them eat. Go ahead. So, yeah. I've been to a place in Colorado that it's, the, it's called Crestone. It's the only place in the country that has a permit for open air cremations. Oh, wow. And okay. I attended a cremation there that was really beautiful. The woman's body mm-hmm. was burning as her children were, right. you know, reading something and her friends were speaking and the whole mm-hmm. thing happened as the body burned. And at the end of the ceremony, there was nothing left. Wow. I've heard that takes two days, but maybe they know how no, to do it. No, no. It, it took about fast. two and a half hours. I think that was a homemade one. Where oh. they, It was also in Texas. It was someplace that was... Um, I guess it was sort of legal because no one had declared it illegal. And so, like, friends, it was an article I read. I didn't know these people, but somebody had committed suicide and it was, you know, obviously incredibly traumatic. Mm. And the, they felt that was the best way to, I don't know, just sort of come together as a, a friendship group and a family group. And, mm. they, and they took his body and they just burned it 
but it took two days apparently mm. to burn it all. But it, you know, it, it obviously very moving kind of experience for like, even reading it was like, wow, that's that's really intense. Well, Edward Abbey, you know, one of the guys who really Love kicked him. off. Well, that's you know, that's what he wanted, and his friends he got it stole right? his body and yeah. buried it in the out in the <laughs> desert. So I've had other friends location. say, when it's time, you're going to do this for me, right? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, and this. There's so many cameras a body. everywhere. Yeah. We can pull this off. But I'm driving down the road with a body in the back of the van. Uh, that's, that's high risk. It is. Because then if you get caught, I don't know. Yeah. There's well, a lot of explaining to we're do. Let's see what happens. It's not what it looks like, officer. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the way, where do we go forward? I know you and Derek wrote a book. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I know, oh. I mean, where, I don't know what to do. I'm, yeah, I'm. Does. This is a, a conundrum I, I face with this podcast a lot. Most of the people who listen to it are young, mm-hmm. and they're starting out in life, yeah. and they're looking for good advice from you know Uncle Chris or whatever, right. and people I have on here. But my feeling is, we're so far down this road, right. we're screwed. Yeah. I mean, agriculture's been around a long time. Growth has been central to human life this idea that population needs to grow economies need to grow wealth creation which to me is just another way of saying nature destruction which it is yeah Yeah. Um, those are fundamental a little tweaking around the edges it's not going to do it solar you know teslas aren't going to save the world so what what do you what do you say to young people who come to you looking for hope (laughs) right so there is none you know, there probably isn't, but um, I am also the sort of person that I, I'm i not going to give up until until it's over. So as long as there's one blade of grass, it's worth fighting for, right? As long as there's one whatever, one redwood, one whale, then we have to fight for our family. And I don't understand the people who just have given up because, I don't know, we don't have much but contempt for the people in Germany who did nothing. Hmm. And that was only humans, and I don't even say only. I mean, it was six million humans. Uh, but this is every last living creature. Yeah. I mean, there may not be anything left. We we really might kill it all. So I don't have any interest in you know the well. We're just there's nothing left to do. So just give up and have fun while you can. Like I just I don't understand that point of view. And fine if you want to have that point of view, but please don't try to talk people out of resistance while there is still something worth fighting for, we need to fight. So what do we do then with our efforts? Well, I don't think that false solutions are gonna help and we have to start with proper diagnosis. So we need to understand the problem. And that's a great deal of what I feel like my life has been about is just trying to understand the problem and then explain it as best I could. Mm. So I would say the problem begins with this pattern called civilization where people living in cities, what does that mean? It means the land can no longer support their numbers. So the food, the water, the energy have to come from somewhere else. Um, At that point, it really doesn't matter what beautiful values they might hold in their hearts. They are now dependent on imperialism and genocide. They're going to have to go out, conquer their neighbors, and take their stuff because nobody willingly gives up their land, their water, their trees, their fish. They're going to have to be conquered. And so that's the pattern of civilization. You've got, whether it's a city state or a nation state, you've got the power base, conquer the neighbors, take what they can. Eventually they run through their stuff too. So now there's really no trees anywhere, uh, no soil left, and the whole thing collapses. Uh, Most civilizations, actually all civilizations have lasted somewhere between 800 and 2000 years. None have ever lasted longer than that. And that's literally the amount of time it takes for the soil to degrade. 
So in some places, it's 800 years. In some places, it's 2,000. But none of them last longer than that, because that's what agriculture does. So um, here we are. And that's the pattern. And you can see it over and over and over. There have been 34 civilizations. They've all ended in the same, the same way in a collapse. This is going to be global now. So civilizations used to be at least somewhat limited. And they were limited by two things. One was how far you could get food and resources in from the hinterlands to the power center. And in the time before fossil fuel, that had to be done with mules or horses or even elephants or what a camels, whatever you had, um, couldn't really be done on a mass scale. With fossil fuel, that, that line breaks. And the other thing it was limited by was military orders. So you had to be able to get the generals talking to each other about how we're going to keep the colonies conquered. And that actually, and you had to get supplies to the military, to the soldiers as well. And that really could only be done so it's such such a distance uh, without fossil fuel. Right. Well, all of that changed the moment that the internal combustion engine was created, mm-hmm. and then you know, whatever, even coal changed that. So it's gone global. Yeah. So now we're really up against it. And then we should have had that population collapse somewhere around 1950, because at that point the world really was out of topsoil. And instead, what we did was the Green Revolution. So since 1950, we've been eating oil. If you're eating grain, you're eating oil on a stalk. That's all it is. Um, and the oil is going to run out. I mean, it, like it's a finite thing. Or we destroy the planet yes, by extracting the mean, Right? The oil. So here yeah. we are. So none of this was a plan with the future. So, okay, all of that was a way of saying, until we identify that problem, we're not going to find solutions that match the scale of that problem. And right now is a very depressing moment for me because I feel like a movement that I have cared so much about, the environmental movement, has gone completely off the rails. Um, it used to be about saving the wild places and the wild creatures that we loved. And now it's about how do we find another source of power to fuel their destruction? So if we just switch to wind or solar or you know hydro or any of these other kind of, quote, green technologies, we can continue to live this way. We're just going to fuel it without destroying you know the atmosphere. So this to me seems completely backwards. Like, my goal was never to continue to fuel the destruction. It was to stop the destruction. But it seems like all these people who have taken this up, not a single one of them cares that this is, like, wh- why is that the goal, to continue this way of life? This way of life is the problem. Mm. Like, continuing to fuel it is not the solution. Mm-hmm. It needs to stop. The consumerism and the shipping things across the world. Yes, and, all and ultimately this pattern called civilization, like, that agriculture is where it all begins. This yeah. is the moment that you have people living beyond the carrying capacity of their land. It's over. Like whether but, it takes eight hundred years or two thousand right. years, it's going to collapse. So, what do you advocate? Have no children. I guess has to be the first step. Well, so there are things that you can do personally that you know make a tiny, tiny micro bit of difference, and that's fine if people want to do those things. I mean, I didn't have children, and I eat pasture-based food like that's the best you can do as an individual right but really i mean the problems are vast and they are systemic Systemic, and they are backed up by the u.s military and they're backed up by every government and there's really not a single institution that's pointed in the right direction so all of that has to be named we have to say it out loud there's nobody on our side there is nobody on the side of the planet it's just us like yeah. Tiny little group of people who actually care. Uh, we're not we're not large, and we don't have a lot of money. So what can we do? Um, and this has, for me, created a certain amount of despair because, in my heart of hearts, I wish I could say that there's going to be a nonviolent uprising because we could. I mean, theoretically, there's no reason by midnight we could have this party shut down. 
But how we do, could do, how it, do but seven people, seven billion people rise up against civilization? It's the only thing that's keeping them alive. Well, that's part of the problem, isn't yeah. it? Right. So we could be repairing the grasslands and the forests. Um, there's no way that seven billion people are going to be supported on that. We're not. Right. Um, quite a number of people could be. I mean, as it turns out, there were 60 billion, 60 million bison on this continent, and we've traded them in for 40 million really sick cows. So in fact, there's fewer ruminants than there were. I mean, that's another like just crazy moment. And like, why are we doing this? Like fewer ruminants on top of everything else. There's actually less. Um, but yes. Yeah, so the other thing that really has to come into play here is um, the population. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it because that's been used for some really sort of heinous, heinous ends. And yes, we should say that out loud. It tends to be, you know, this can be very racist and it can be very classist and all of that. But the truth is that half the children that are born each and every day, half of them were either unplanned or unwanted. Mm -hmm. Half. So which which yeah. means that all we have to do is girl, give girls and women complete reproductive control and there will be half as many. Like, that is actually not hard. We should be doing right. that anyway. Exactly. And, and, and another tweak that, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I'm publishing a book called Civilized to Death in mm -hmm. October. It's coming out. And I feel like um, the first step has to be voluntary, massive reduction in world population. Otherwise, nothing matters. I, I, right. I feel like that without... Reducing world population to, you know, a billion people, let's say, nothing else sure. is going to matter. Sure. And we can do that. The one source of hope I have, and, and of course, it's overshadowed by so many other things, but if we could tie universal basic income right. and incentivize not having kids, because the other, you pointed to the unwanted and mm -hmm. unplanned pregnancies. The other is people who have kids as a way to give them some sense of security, security absolutely. right? So if we provide that security, right. you're going to be fine as an old person. Right. Don't worry about it. You don't need to have kids. In fact, you get more money every month if you don't have right. kids. Oh, my God. Like, nobody needs to be forced to do anything. It right. doesn't have to be, you know, racially or, or class system right. or whatever. It can just, I mean, it does sort of become class because then the richer people can afford not to get that extra bonus, but... But, you know, yeah. we can deal with that later. Like, I don't care, yeah. honestly. That would yeah. just be a tiny little segment of the population. Yeah. The number one thing that drops the birth rate around the world, because this has been studied inside and out, the number one thing you can do is teach a girl to read. Right. Like, literally, when Educate women and girls, girls have that yeah. much more power of their lives, they choose to have fewer children, right. which means right now they're having a whole bunch of children that they don't want. Like, anybody should acknowledge this is just... It's a nightmare. It's a human rights nightmare. So we should just care about it, put it in the center of it, and the population will drop naturally. We could also add some incentives, like you're saying. And the really interesting example is Iran, which, you know, is ruled by a theocracy. But they realized that, you know, their their human, their, their birth rate was really going to be, like, way beyond what they could ever sustain. And so even as a religious theocracy, they all sort of got all the stakeholders together and thought, well, all right, this is the problem, so what do we do about it? Um, and in a very quick, short amount of time, they were actually able to drop the birth rate very dramatically. And they did it. They did a few different things. They made birth control widely available and free, so anybody could get it. Um, they made birth control classes uh, were mandatory if you wanted to get a marriage license, so everybody mm. had to understand it. Um, they set up these sort of neighborhood groups where women would go house to house and talk to other women and explain what birth control was and said, you need help getting it, we can help you do this. They got the religious community one by one, all those sort of big 
whoever they are, sort of leaders to come out and say, you know what, it's not even in the Quran, we don't care. Like, do whatever you want, if it makes you happy, it's all, like, <laughs> you're not gonna go to what, you know, like, nothing bad will happen if you do it. And they very specifically had to come out and say that vasectomies were okay. Really? Yeah, because uh, there was a lot of like, I don't know, I don't know, and they're like, nope, it's fine, nobody cares, go ahead and do it. And men literally lined up around the block, because it turned out they didn't want to have 10 children either. Yeah. Like, who can possibly feed that God, many mouths? I didn't know that, that's Yeah, great. and it was really no interesting, idea. and then they also got it um, into, like, the popular soap operas so in the pop culture mm. um, they had storylines about you know various oh birth control we're going to get married what should we do and they had everybody talking about it really openly mm. and then they made it super accessible where they would open these sort of small clinics sort of in every neighborhood where you could go and just very easily get birth control and they had mobile vans in the rural areas it was really and very very dramatically what, was this recently this was like uh, maybe 20 years ago huh. and so they were able to do it like in a very short two, two and then also increase the um, literacy for women huge right. push and I think literacy went from something like 20% to almost 80% in a matter of two years. All they had to do was put some effort into it, right? So the birth rate starts to drop, 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 um, which shows you that people's you know, desire for children, their capacity for children is incredibly plastic because it just was, you know, it grew, it shrank, it grew, like depending on sort of what the messages were, right? So then uh, other people sort of took more power in the government and said, no, no, we actually need way more people so we can have bigger wars and more capitalist consumption. And they scrapped the whole thing and the birth weight shot back up. So mm. it's it, it's a scary example because Damn, it didn't end well. But I know, but it was working is yeah, the thing. It, and it's it not hard. Yeah. It's not hard to do this. So just such basic things. Give everybody health care. We should be doing that anyway. Teach girl to read. should be doing that anyway. Give women and girls complete reproductive control. Should be doing that anyway. And what do you know? It's suddenly people plus planet. It's not people against planet. None of this is actually that hard. Yeah. It's just really what we need. And, you know, there is a part of this, too, that's like, like you said, poor people end up having way more children because they die younger. You know, there's all these problems with things like just basic water where infants die. All of this could be fixed so easily. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And it, people are only poor because the rich are stealing from them. So all we have to do is stop the rich from doing this around the globe. Like, not a hard concept, right? And then, I mean, really, things will just be better, right? Yeah. It just, I, it's like none of this is physically impossible. It's almost it's, like <laughs> what you're describing in terms of social policy sounds very, like, structurally, it's almost like what you were describing in terms of letting that acre of land have its natural plants. Like, if you respect women and girls, right. if you treat people with dignity and decency and That's share resources yes. it becomes that acre yes. of wild exactly. things intermingling in ways that are mutually beneficial it's like win-win is nature's way and yes. somehow we've made it zero sum yep it's yep. totally fucked so instead of participating we're dominating yeah like on every level and so right. that's the other thing that has to be restored we need to re restore the rivers and we need to restore the soil and we need to restore all the animals and plants that build that soil but we also need to restore human relationships right and some sense of justice and fairness but that really is a human impulse so honestly we just need to get these institutions out of the way yeah. that are creating the domination and oh, that's all we have to do. And then <laughs> that's all. It's not too late, though. And that's then the for thing. lunch. And then we'd be okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so then the question is: So how do you build a movement that can do that? And that's you know that's the work. That's the nitty gritty of how this actually will happen. Um, but I, you know, the other thing that we need to put on the table, and you can take it or leave it, but I think that we need to at least discuss more militant options at this point, given that every last living thing is at risk. 
Um, I would vastly prefer to do this in a way that was, again, that nonviolent uprising. But if we accept that that may not happen and probably won't happen, in fact, what then? Do we have a right to actually stop coal and gas and oil because it's destroying the planet? And I would say, as members of the living community um, who have opposable thumbs, that it's indeed our responsibility to make it stop. So then how do you do that? Well, that can be done nonviolently. There are certainly all kinds of um, examples from around the globe of people doing exactly that, blockading oil depots and Mm -hmm. stopping coal trains and all of that good stuff. Um, But none of them have been as permanent as we would wish. Um, One really interesting group to look at is MEND. That was a group in Nigeria, and it was the Movement for the Emancipation of the Niger Delta. And uh, they tried the nonviolent route for 20 years, and all of their leadership was decapitated by the the private military, essentially, of the oil industry. By Shell. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they moved on, and they took up <clears throat> um, other techniques, guerrilla, essentially guerrilla techniques. Sabotaging so, pipelines. Yes, they were absolutely doing yeah. that and blowing up oil rigs and all of yeah. this. Um, and it's very successful. They were able to mm. drive some of the oil companies out permanently. Um you know, in a series of one series of attacks that took place about over about a week, they stopped oil production. Eighty percent of the oil production ground to a halt over yeah. one week. So it's like, and this is maybe three hundred people hmm. in little speedboats. That's right. all it took was three hundred well-trained people, very clearly well-trained people, willing yeah. to risk their lives. But that's all it took to to bring at least some of the oil industry to its knees for a while. So mm. what if we all did that? You know, there's this great quote where they say, um, leave our land or you will die in it. What if we all felt that kind of loyalty to our land and mm. we're willing to put ourselves between what is left of this planet and fossil fuel? Because I'm afraid that's what it's going to take. So I'm happy to say that out loud because no one else will. But it may come to that. And then I don't know. Are we going to do it or aren't we? Yeah. And the laws are structured to penalize anyone who does that sort of thing oh, yeah. so harshly. Oh, yeah. You 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 will end up either dead or probably in jail for a good long time. Mm-hmm. You might be clever enough to get away and live underground. I don't know. Um, that's a decision every person is going to have to make for themselves. But we need to at least put the option on the table. You mentioned it, Edward Abbey earlier. Yes. Uh, the whole Earth First movement that yep. sort of grew out of one of his books. Yep. I remember uh, a lot of those people and they were they never hurt people sure they hurt mining equipment and logging equipment sure. and they would just you know put sugar in the gas tanks and all that um some of those people went to prison for longer than if they had killed another human yeah for and, fucking up a bulldozer yeah i mean i used to write to people in jail that were had done that you know quote-unquote eco-terrorism i mean the thing is who are the terrorists right it's yeah. the people who are destroying life on earth right. not the people who are defending it and Yes, we need to take very seriously that, you know, some of these actions would be, well, not just serious consequences for the people doing them, but, you know, it, I mean, please don't hurt humans. Like, it's just, please, please, please keep at least some nonviolence in your heart if you decide to take this up, because it's, there There certainly be, would be ways to do that and still keep to that ethic that, you know, we don't have to hurt each other to get to a better world. But this, the equipment and the, you know, the extractive processes are just, they're monstrous in scale at this point. Yeah. And we have a right to do something about it. We really do. Yeah. Listen, are your neighbors going to be coming? And I feel I've, I've blocked your driveway. Oh, no, so it's fine. Me, okay. The only people who come up and down the driveway are me and Laura. Okay. So um, right. it's fine. And Laura already went out today. And if she needs to go somewhere, she'll tell us. So I don't know where Derek is. He should be here. 
He said he'd Thank be you. here too. So yeah, no, Lear, you're welcome. Lear Keith, so, do you have a website people I do, go to? Learkeith.com. Learkeith.com. And I, I always say, oh, that's really easy. It's just my name. And that's kind of a joke because I have this really strange <laughs> name. The easiest way to actually find me, if you're just listening to this and you don't have a pen, my book is called The Vegetarian Myth. That you can remember. Yeah. And I'm the only person who wrote that book. So if you type that into Google, <laughs> you will find my website. The Vegetarian Myth, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Lear. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lear. And if somehow it made you horny, maybe you'll remember to go to Lilo.com and use the code Chris Ryan, my name, to get 15% off any full price items. Yeah, they've got all sorts of stuff. They've got the, the the vibrators, programmable, super adjustable of all sorts. They've got stuff for dudes. They've got S&M gear. They've got your suede whips and soft handcuffs and I don't know what else they have, all sorts of stuff. And it's all high-end. Sex toys is one area where you don't want to save money. You know, there are some things where you just, it's just not a good idea to look to try to cut corners unless of course you have a discount code which you do now so don't get cheap stuff get expensive stuff when it comes to sex toys anyway at a discount all right that's enough for me strange segue now from sex toys to my mother but life throws those things at you sometimes so here we go order some t-shirts for mom keep her busy thank you bye Okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation 
Everyone's headed for a heads down I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So baby, what's a big deal? If you wanna be free Say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground